Well, Monday's a big day, yes? How you feeling about it, kiddos? You good? You excited? No? Well, then we must pray for you, okay? If you're not excited about it. Church, would you join me in praying for these kids as we bless them as they head back to school? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you love us, that you are with us. And Lord, you are mindful of each child gathered here as they lay their heads down at night and you are alert and attentive when they wake up in the morning. We pray Monday as they begin a new school year that you would go with them each step of the way, caring deeply for them, meeting their needs, giving them strength, and giving all of that compassion and love and mercy that we've sung about as they interact with their students and teachers. I pray that life with you would be easy and that you would equip this church to help lead them in the way of Jesus, that they would be a blessing to others, that they would love you and their neighbor as themselves. We ask that you would go with them, keep them safe from all trial and temptation, and from the evil one, we commit them to you as you send them out into the world. And we pray all of this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, kiddos. Go have a good time tonight. Join me in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you, church. I invite you to turn to Psalm 100. Psalm 100, in the middle of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one in the seat back in front of you. It's going to be different from the words that I'm reading, but we also have a translation on the screen. So hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. This is God's word, and we're grateful for it. This is a psalm that summons all the earth and God's people to respond to God, and we call it worship. We're going to be talking about worship tonight, and I just want to say at the beginning that what we're not going to talk about is all the tastes and styles and forms that become associated with how we worship. Rather, we're going to look at this psalm that summons us to respond to all God is and all God does. And that has very little to do with the how we worship 
and a lot to do with who we worship and how we respond as God's people together. So when I think about responding, when I think about doing that together, I think about, well, rock and roll, of course. Yes? No? This psalm says it's a psalm of thanksgiving, and I think it's a psalm of rock and roll because it's short, it's compact, it's lively, but it also, guess what, has some very familiar terms. How many of you have heard songs that say things like, shout to the Lord all the earth? That was actually a song title I just said off the top of my head. Enter into his courts with praise. There's a million songs, and these words can become so familiar, but these words are lively, vibrant. They pack a punch like punk rock and rock and roll. This is a psalm of rock and roll. And I think about these familiar words that we can gloss over in a book of psalms in the middle of our Bible, 150 of them. This little guy is sitting there with five verses, and I think, don't let these familiar words be taken for granted. I think about when we listen to rock and roll in the car, or if hip-hop's your thing, you're listening to these words, and they could be familiar. But you know what you do if you're like me? Even though you've heard them in the car a million times, you've heard them at your house when you're cleaning a million times, you've heard them in your headphones when you're working out. When this person comes to town, if you're like me, you're going to pay an arm and a leg on Ticketmaster to go see them sing the same songs you've heard in your car, in your house, and while you're working out. Why? Because even though these words are familiar, there is something about the experience of getting together and singing, relating, and even responding in an emotional way, a visceral way, a physical way, to the sweaty rock and roll bands that you've heard a million times, there's something about together responding that makes it a community act. And that's what this psalm is. That's why I call it a rock and roll song. Of course, worship is not a rock and roll concert. That's one of the things that gets lobbied at churches quite a bit, especially when we have rock and roll instruments. And that's why I'm talking about the forms of worship are not what I want to talk about so much tonight, because the forms of worship, how we worship, are just a means of elevating together who God is. It's not a concert, but it is something that is done and experienced together, even if they're words that we've sung and heard and recited a million times. It is is not worship until the God who is spirit touches we who have the spirit within us. Richard Foster says worship is not happening until spirit touches spirit. So no, it's not a rock concert. And even though you see our rock and roll instruments, even though we're singing familiar songs and words, we must keep before us that it's not about the style. It's not even about just doing it together. Worship is our response. Worship is a response. Christian worship is a response of all we are to all God is and all God does. And as I said earlier, Psalm 100 calls all the earth and God's people to respond. So we're going to see two movements in this short little psalm that's called uh, really a descriptive psalm. And the first movement we see here in the first couple verses is, Hey, worship God! Hey, respond to God. And then it moves into verse 3 and it says, oh, and here's why. Then he goes back to say, hey, worship God. 
Hey, respond to God. And then it closes with verse 5. Oh, and here is why. There's two movements we're going to see in this little psalm. And I think, I hope, we're going to find along the way how it is that worship is a response and how it is that we can be a worshiping church. Because last week we talked about how prayer forms us and prayer fuels us. Worship is another one of those community-forming and community-fueling activities when we respond to all that God is and all that God does. So let's look at that first movement of, hey, worship, hey, respond, hey, are you awake? Dee Dee's song woke me up. She told me that that's what she did to these new community people when y'all had already eaten and were sleepy. So thank you for waking me up. And if that didn't wake me up, this psalmist will. Look what he says in verse 1 of Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to all the Lord, all the earth. Basically, he's saying, hey, shout to the Lord, all the earth. Then he says, worship the Lord with gladness. So right here, we need to see that worship actually begins before we gather. This is before anything is happening in the community experience. Because look at the end of verse 2. Come into his presence with singing. So all the earth is called to shout, to worship, and they're called to do so with what? Joy and gladness. So here's our experiment, people. We're told to worship. And we're told that worship begins before we gather because it's something that we're supposed to come into singing, right? Well, here's our experiment. Ready? On your mark, get set, be happy. On your mark, get set, be joyful. On your mark, get set, be glad. You people. Okay. I wasn't quite looking for that because I told you worship's not just a rock and roll concert. So I'm not saying hello, Cleveland. But what I'm trying to say is, It doesn't work if you're starting and someone just shoots a pistol and says, worship. Because joy is not something that is drummed up. Joy is something that is grown. And we know that joy is something that's grown because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And when you're abiding and living in Christ in such a way we're worshiping or saying, God, you're worthy, begins before we get here and we shoot the starter pistol, you're being cultivating things like love and joy and peace and patience. It's not something we drum up. It is something that is grown within us, and it's grown in so far as we are connected to the vine. Yes? Joy is something that is a hard command for the psalmist. Hey, worship. Hey, be joyful. Hey, be glad. You can't make it appear, but you can worship before we gather. Because our weekly worship is the culmination of our life with God this week. Sometimes you cannot enter with joy. Sometimes you don't come in leaping. Sometimes you come in limping. Well, guess what? There are community psalms for you too. There are times when we will gather and it will not feel like a time of joy. There are times when we will come limping with heavy hearts and there are psalms and precedences where we can grieve together. But when we're talking about all the earth and when we really think back and say, Not just our circumstances dictating our reality, but could there be deep work of God and growth in places I don't see? That can be a source of joy. My girls make me glad. They make me 
emotional more than any other thing does in this world. Not reality TV, touching moments, not Steven Spielberg movies. Nothing makes me more emotional and touches me deeply on this earth than my girls. And I thought about my relationship to the Lord and I thought about those moments when we come to church and it, I, I, I think I should be happy, right? And I want to drum it up. Or maybe if I'm coming to church and I'm not leaping, I'm limping, I'm grieving, I'm desperate, I still come in and I want to shut off that emotional side of my life. And I wondered when I thought about my relationship with the girls and how they can touch me deeply and it's okay for me to be emotional to them and with them, I wonder why that doesn't translate many times to this family. Are we shutting off the emotional side of our life? I'm here to tell you it's okay to not be okay. It is okay to grieve. It's okay to limp. I'm also going to tell you it's okay to be okay, church. It is okay to be glad. And you need to understand that every time we gather, little old us, Christ is in our midst. He is in here, inextricably linked to all of us sad sack people or all of our crazily, sickingly joyful people. He's here. He's here when we don't feel like singing. And Lord, help us, remind us that we have reasons to sing but also remind us we need not shut off the emotional side of our life because that's what makes us a whole being. And worship is responding to God with all of who we are, emotionally, physically, joyfully, grievously, all of who we are to all of who God is. So how are you coming tonight? Are you leaping like the little girl I saw at Chick-fil-A in the playground who walked in and said, ta-da, I'm here. I'm only going to do that one time. I'm still making sure you're awake. Are we like that little girl prancing in? Or are we like that girl limping? Church, if we are a worshiping church, we need to understand that the songs and forms we sing may be hard to say amen to. And we need to walk with the slowest who are limping and also run with the fastest who are limping. That's what a church looks like when we worship together. Because we're okay to respond with all of who we are, warts and all, to all of who God is. And so that was that first movement of, hey, worship, respond. And now he's going to say, here's why. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. This is revolutionary to the psalmists and the people of their day when there are many gods for every tribe, there is a God. And guess what? We may have evolved in the last thousand or few years, but there are still many gods, many tribes. But we say, know that the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh revealed perfectly in Yeshua, Jesus, is God. Know the Lord is God. Know that He is with us. We are His and He is ours. Do you see that? It is He that made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Do we know this to be true? Do we really know it? Or have we shut off another part of our life, if it's not just our emotional life, our mental life, where we say, surely God doesn't love me. 
You see, in our world today, I read in a study released by USC in 2011, this floored me, that since 1986, we have more information bombarding us on a day-to-day basis. We have five times as much information as we have simply 30 years ago. We have more information bombarding us today, five times more information bombarding us than we did 30 years ago. They say it's the equivalent of 174 newspapers, which are around 85 pages. We have over 8,000 pages of information bombarding us. Well, no, I don't. Well, yes, you do, because you have it in your pocket. You have it on Facebook. It may not be great information, but it's constant information bombarding us. We are a people who should know more than any other people on the face of this earth in human history. But we know so much except what really matters. Know that the Lord is God. He made you your His the most life-transforming thing you can know deeply in your heart is that God is for you. He made you, and you are His. This verse has been a gift to Pastor Bud and I. Know that the Lord is God. It is He that made us, and we are His. Why should I be afraid? Why do I want to please everyone else? Because I am His, and He loves me. And it's been a gift for Pastor Bud and I because when we think of you and pray for you, we say it's not just our people. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. This language is kingly language. In Ezekiel, they talked about the kings of Israel being shepherds over God's people, caring for them, nurturing them, protecting them, feeding them. God Revealed in Jesus, our King cares for us, feeds us. He is the good shepherd. And guess what? No, he's God. You're his. All the stuff we know, what we need to know deep in our bones, is that this possession is not that you are a thing. It's a possession of your mind. You're a child. Henry Nouwen, that great Catholic spiritual writer that's influenced so many of us in this church, he says that the cry of every human heart is a cry of Abba. And it's a cry that we need to hear deeply. That the father who said of Jesus at his baptism, you are my beloved son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Of all the stuff bombarding us each day, what would it look like for you to come together, take five minutes, and say, I want to try to quiet and silence all the other information, and could I will myself to listen to the still small voice that says, you're a beloved daughter. You are a beloved son. When you begin to know that, it transforms you. And you begin to see, oh, now I can come to him in worship with the community, with all of who I am, because I'm coming to my brothers and sisters who are his as well. Because another thing we see is that worship is relational. It's rooted in who God is and who we are in him. It's rooted in who we are in him. See, I talk to many people, I talk to someone this week who thinks they are a bad person. I say, you are not a bad person. You may do dumb things sometimes, but that does not make you a bad person because you are a child beloved by God. And if you're like me, you're thinking of all the things you're not 
And these are more information we're bombarded with in our heads. And what we need to hear is the voice saying, you're his. You're the sheep of his pasture. He's caring for you. He's walking with you. He's protecting you. Worship is relational, and it sets us back into reality that we are not who we say we are. We are who he says we are, and that makes all the difference. Know that he is God. And here's the thing. I think relationship has a shadow side too. And here's what I mean by that. What is your relationship with God like? It may not be toxic like I was saying where you think God is out to get you, but it may have been substituted for not a relationship of intimacy with Abba or Papa, our God, our Father. Maybe you've substituted that relationship with a relationship to what we do here in our rhythm of worship each week. And that is not sustainable. It's just frankly not. I am not a good Abba for you. I am not the word that can penetrate deeply into your heart that says you belong to God. Lord can use those words and make them deep inside of you, but do not substitute a relationship with the Lord our God for a relationship to what we do at church. That is not sustainable. That is not the kind of worship we come in together as the culmination of our life with Him. It may get you part of the way, but it will not be the abundant life that Jesus has called us to. It's the discipline of walking with Him. And it's the discipline of saying, have mercy on me when I'm limping and run with me when I'm leaping. But it must be a relationship, not just to His church. So we have this second movement in verse 4 that's going to say, hey, worship, respond. And it's more action words. It's more rock and roll punch, wake up words. Here in verse 4, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. This is a word that's, uh, that, that carries some meat to it. It's not just a meal that we celebrate and we go around the table and say, oh, I'm thankful for this. Thanksgiving in this Hebrew concept is coming with outstretched hands. It's a sacrifice. It's saying, thank you, God. You've given me so much. The least I can do is give you a sacrifice of praise and worship. Because surely you're at work in ways that I can't see in deep ways. Then he says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Again, how are we entering are we limping? Are we, leap, are we leaping? Are you entering with your arms outstretched with thanksgiving? And if you're not, I might want to encourage you to join with me and try the discipline of gratitude. I audit a lot of my conversations in the week when I'm talking to you all, when I'm talking to my wife. And I think it's important when we look back over the conversations we're having with people and think about what percentage is negative. What percentage is complaining? Now, there's a moment when you need to vent in a safe place in a trusted relationship. I'm not saying don't complain. What I am saying is if your complaining is at 99% and you're, hey, things are great, God is good, things are well, at 1%, you're not going to enter into his gates with your hands outstretched saying, thank you, God you're probably going to enter in with arms outstretched saying, gimme, 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 gimme. 
And again, that's not wrong as well. But it is not a life that's sustainable. And it's certainly not a worshiping community that enters in where joy is grown and where the voice of belonging is heard. We must get into a place where we can say, God, help me develop an attitude of gratitude, y'all. I'm going to rhyme that because I'm a Baptist preacher when I was ordained, so we got to have an attitude of gratitude. I could say a discipline of gratitude. Audit those conversations and see, try to see how God is at work in unseen places. We talk about so much in this church, do not let your circumstances dictate your reality. When you're talking with others, listen for ways in which there are gifts. Hey, we are here and we are breathing and we are together, and that may be enough even if the storm is outside of these walls. Now, he says, give thanks to him, bless his name. Come in with arms outstretched, and that word bless is kneel. It's not just the attitude of gratitude. It is this admission that, you know what? If I really think about it, I have been given a tremendous lot. It may not feel that way in my bank account at this moment, but he has done good things for me. And that is the place of coming in with arms outstretched and that we're blessed to kneel before him and say, you know what? I have been given quite a bit and I may not be as in control as I think I am. So therefore, I'm going to thank you and praise you even though there's a storm in our midst. How on earth can you do something like that? Well, that's that final movement of, hey, worship God, and now here is why. The psalmist writes, for the Lord is good. Look back in your Bible at verse 3. Know that the Lord is what? God. But now that little O that's added to that word in English makes all the difference. It's not just good news, hey, there's a God. It's great news because God loves you. News is there is a creator. Shout to the Lord all the earth. Good news is he has reconciled you through Christ. He loves you and his love is faithful and it will not fail. That is good news. Do not let these familiar words wash over you. Meditate. Rehearse them. Read this psalm in the morning when you rise and remember and get deep in your bones that the Lord is good and His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. If you struggle to relate to Him, because earlier I said worship is relational, if you struggle not just in how we sing and pray and say words as a response to God. If you struggle in the week to week with a relationship with God, it's probably because you struggle to believe that he actually loves you. And it's why I spend so much time and breath in this church saying, good news, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want to spend many times at lunch with our people when they say how they are not steadfast in their life with God. Oh man, let me tell you, I just haven't really read my Bible at all. I really just struggle in prayer. I hope that they see my face not freak out. I hope that they see me, look them in the eye, and say, it's okay. 
because one of the things we talked about as missional community leaders on Thursday, I had used the words where I even feel like Jesus is down the path right around there at the back of the auditorium, and I feel like when I wake up in the morning and I'm already checking email and I'm already on to the next thing, I feel like I've got to jog up to him. And the reality is this, and it hit us like a ton of bricks in that circle on Thursday night in my living room with the missional community leaders. It hit me like a ton of bricks, this. We do not catch up to him. He does not keep score. We do. I do not believe that God keeps score and that you must earn this love by how well you pray, how much you pray, how much you read, how long you read, and that he gives a rip about what box you're checking in your daily devotional plan. What I do think he cares about is that you know he loves you, and he wants you to respond to him in love back. So rather than jogging up to catch up with Jesus down the road, you need not run forward. You need only turn to the side and say, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And he will say, hey, I am your shepherd in the valley of the shadow, and I am your shepherd that will lead you from this place to green pastures. Would you go with me now? Because when he asked his disciples to follow him, he asked them to follow him, not next week, but now. And I think that Jesus reveals perfectly this kind of steadfast, faithful love that endures forever, whether or not you wake up at 6 a.m. tomorrow and pray for four hours. What I am asking you to do is turn to him at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. or 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. or whenever a.m. you find yourself remembering the steadfast love of God, that he would be calling you to turn and say, follow me in this moment. Don't worry about earlier. Let's worry about right now. Because to follow someone, it, it, it admits that there is this progress, and it may only be a step at a time. But what step are you called to take? And remember that his steadfast love endures forever. Whether or not you feel like you are faithful and steadfast, remember his faithfulness extends to all generations. So don't rush past these familiar words that you've heard. Don't let them be like the CD in the car. Do people even listen to CDs anymore? Am I the only one? Okay. Don't run past them like the familiar words you've heard. Don't run past even, Lord willing, my words if there's anything that the Spirit is using. Don't rush past my words. Do you know that He loves you and that His steadfast love endures? That's what the psalmist asks of us. There are seven big rock and roll words that should not be familiar to us. They should be lively and impactful. You see them highlighted here. Make a joyful noise. Worship. Come, know, enter, give thanks, bless. These are great words to remember as a worshiping church. That it is a response of all we are to all of who God is. Good, bad, or ugly, limping or leaping. May we worship Him, be formed in the image of the God who is love, and then go and say, make a joyful noise, all the earth, proclaiming His reign to all peoples. May we respond to him this evening as we pray, as we come to the table, and as we respond in song, the forms of worship that help us connect to the Spirit who is our God. Let's pray.
Father, I am so grateful that you have gathered us here. I'm grateful for all the little things it took just to get us here this evening. I thank you for life and breath. And I thank you for the love that extends to all those who have gone before us and all those who will come after us. May you stir our hearts and our minds to how great you are, to how great you have been, and to how great you will be. We ask that we would be a church who worships in spirit and in truth, trusting and loving you. Amen. Since we prayed for our children, we also have many people in our church community that are going back to school, whether as teachers or workers within the district. So look at these names. Think of their faces. If you don't know some of these names, perhaps you need to meet these people and encourage them and bless them. We're going to pray for them here in these moments as we send them back to school also to make a positive impact on the lives of so many young people in the school year ahead. So just as Kathy led our benediction a few weeks back about looking around at these names and these faces, as the Lord brings them to your mind on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, in that first week, would you say a prayer that God would bless them and lead them and give them strength? Let's start by doing that now before we're dismissed. Let us pray. Father, we're so grateful for these people who have devoted their lives to shaping and forming and helping along the young people in our communities. We ask that just as we had read in the Psalm 103 earlier, that you would renew them as they begin the work ahead with strength and that it would be strength that comes from you. We pray that you would give them wisdom. We pray that you would give them grace and patience and all the fruit that your spirit desires to grow within them. We pray that they would be filled with your presence and power as they walk the halls of their schools and that they would be blessings to those around them, not only to the kids, but to the faculty and staff as well, that they would love their neighbor as themselves. We pray that they would go with all of your strength and peace and all of us here gathered in your name for worship. We pray that you would send us out in peace as well. Until we meet again, Lord willing, we pray in your name. Amen.